something I touched on when I did an interview for CBS News when we talked about the impact of mental health in the black community, highlighting George Floyd and everything like that. Mm -hmm. I told them we for years we haven't had the privilege to think about our mental health. Oh, that's wow. a word though. That is. Because shoot, we just trying to survive. We're trying to survive. That's what I told them. Like we're in survival mode constantly. We've been in survival mode for generations. Yeah. And people don't understand that there is a such thing as generational trauma. You're listening to Just Keep Living. The Glass House Conversation, where there are no stones thrown. This podcast is a judgment-free zone for free thinkers who value personal growth and mental health. We're all about inspiring and empowering others. All while creating safe spaces to have difficult conversations. Join us every week as we have fun, get vulnerable, and go deep. Answer each other's questions on a range of topics from sex to religion. And everything in between. And we do mean everything. We're just trying to figure it out. Like Granny always said, just keep living. Welcome to the show. Hey, y'all. Oh, that came through like a little. <laughs> it came what? through. Hey, y'all. Like I've been smoking a pack of cigarettes this morning. Virginia yeah. Slims. Shout out mm. to my auntie. New Newports. Mm. Mama went dating. Virginia Slims was them long the ones. Long it ones. was like a hundred. Ooh. Mm. Mm. Okay. okay yeah. Welcome back to another week. <laughs> we already distracted y'all. Welcome back to another week of Just Keep Living. Mm -hmm. And we have another guest. Um, let me just do a quick introduction. You guys know that I am Jenna. And I'm Joe. Master P. And Shauna is mommying right now. She out doing her thing. So yep, shout out to Shauna. <laughs> 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 Childish AF. <laughs> so our, our guest today is Diamond Dale. The last few episodes that you guys have listened to, it's been how we've all been impacted by abuse and different kinds of abuse. So the last person we had on is therapist Mr. Dwayne. So now we have another person on here who mental health is one of their specialties too. She has a nonprofit and um, she has a bunch of other things that she's going to share with us how she got to this point in her life. So Diamond Dale, Give them a little background. All right, so hey, y'all. So pretty much I'm from Detroit and currently in San Diego. How I got to this point was just a long list of things. I'm a product of adoption and the system of care as well as the juvenile justice system. And throughout all of those challenges and things of that nature, I found myself working in the nonprofit sector at a young age. As a teenager, I worked for the Juvenile Assessment Center in Detroit, Michigan. Then I went to Black Family Development, pretty much advocating for youth in the system of care, making sure they have a voice. When I moved to California in 2014, I started volunteering for NAMI San Diego, which is National Alliance of Mental Illness. Um, and just kind of being in that and then going to work for the Child Development Center and for the military and wanted to work with little kids and things of that nature. Then I started working for psychiatric hospitals and going there. And then I was just like, you know what? I want to pour this passion of mine into something that I really care about in my own way. So I created a home and it stands for helping others master their experience. We pretty much specialize in connecting people in the community to mental health resources in their area. Our main clientele has been black people pretty much and we connect them to black mental health professionals that has been our biggest thing 
that is our specialty at the moment, and our whole network is black mental health professionals right now. So that's love it. it. Wow. Wow. So I, I, I wow. like your acronym. Thank yeah. you. That's yeah. so Say dope. it again. Home. So it's helping others master their experience. That's like wow. that's so key. That's deep. It's funny because when she came up with that, I was like, "Girl, it's so many with home. Are you sure about this?" Mm-hmm. I was being the doubter. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't doubting your. Ability. It yeah. was yeah. so many things are named home, but there's also five thousand di- types of bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I right. just kind of <laughs> felt like what made me come up with home was just like, what do when I feel safe? What do I think of? Like that? Think of Detroit? I think of home. Yeah, actually, <laughs> <laughs> she go. feels safe, y'all. Feel safe <laughs> <in> <laughs> Let y'all know how fucked up I am. <laughs> 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 I'm about to say that's the last place I'm thinking about. Yeah. Every time but I turn this the news, some of my favorite people, though. But you know what I mean? But y'all know what I mean? Like, when you're home, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You in that safe space. Like, mm-hmm. for me, I think about, like, when I'm at home with my grandma, she cooking, and the record's playing, mm-hmm. and, like, my mom watering plants. Like, just in a good space. Yeah. And I was just like, I want people to feel that when they come to me for help. Like, I want people to feel like I'm their safe space. Mm, I so love that. I'm their safe space in their brave space. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I want. What do you think is some of the reasons why black people don't seek therapy? Man, it comes from generations of stuff. Like, it's so much stigma behind seeking therapy in the black community because we want to pray it away. That's Mm. what our main solution is. We think it's a demon (laughs) that's wrong with you when in actuality it's really just you going through life and it's mental stuff. And also something I touched on when I did an interview for CBS News, when we talked about the impact of mental health in the black community, highlighting George Floyd and everything like that. Mm -hmm. I told them we for years we haven't had the privilege to think about our mental health. Oh, that's a word, though, because shoot, we just trying to survive trying to survive. That's what I told them. Like we're in survival mode constantly. We've been in survival mode for generations and people don't understand that there is a such thing as generational trauma. Absolutely. Think about how many, think about like when you go all the way back, I think about my grandma, for instance, like my grandma right now, she is, she turns 88 this August, Mm -hmm. but she's a living relic. Like she can tell me everything that happened like years, 60 years ago. And just to think that at the same age I am in now, she was witnessing Emmett Till's death. Like, mm-hmm. and right now, we're lin- we're looking at public lynchings ourselves with George Floyd. That's a generational thing. Yeah. And to constantly see that over and over, over years of time, to constantly hear about these different things that goes on with black people. There's no way you will ever think like this is affecting me because you think it's normal. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. That's part of the reason why we don't do it either. We think it's normal to feel this way. Mm-hmm. Like it's coming from De- coming from Detroit, I know that wholeheartedly. Yeah, <laughs> we think shootouts is normal. Wow. It becomes normal to you. Exactly. That's yeah. what I, why I don't, you know, every so much you see another black person dying at the hands of the police mm-hmm. and people want to talk about it. And I'm like, well, Y'all can talk about all y'all want, but I'm not exposing my kids to that. That's not normal. People dying in the streets not normal, and I'm not going to be a part of that. So Mm -hmm. on those days, we don't watch the news ever. Mm. All right, so we're going to pivot, kind of get to some more serious things. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely the resume is long, and we can go on and on. Yeah, hey. (laughs) And she young, y'all. Y'all don't even understand. She the baby of the group. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
but that's okay. That's when you're working in your purpose and you know where you're supposed to be. This mm-hmm. is it's good that you figured it out this young. What are some of the types of abuse that you personally have been exposed to? I've been exposed to sexual abuse, mental abuse, and emotional abuse. Okay. All right. Now, I know your story. Mm-hmm. Now, you have a very unique sexual abuse because this is a person you guys would never expect. Right. Um, can you kind of li- tell our listeners about that? Do you feel comfortable enough to share that? I'm fine with that. I'm in a place where I feel like I've healed from it, and mm-hmm. it doesn't really affect me in that way. But um, the person who sexually abused me was actually my school principal when I was young. Mm-hmm. So that Dang. happened, yeah, over like a length of time, me going to school and things like that. He would pull, like when I was in trouble, he would pull me into the office and like, purposely try to get me along and like humiliate me in different ways and like demean my character or like my physical features and things like that and then would try to that's when the sexual abuse would happen because then it was like okay i'm gonna tear you down now Mm -hmm. and i'm understanding as a mental health professional he would pretty much try to tear me down and then put me in a space where now i'm here but I accept all these bad things about you, though. So Ooh, it was that. Yeah. And so then it led to, like, rape and things like that. Yeah. Um, wow. I wanted you to share that. Uh, let me say thank you for sharing that because yeah. it's yeah. so personal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't understand where predators are. Mm-hmm. And they're everywhere. Even, you know, we think about sending our kids to school that they're going to be safe. How old were you? I was eight. Okay. And how long did this last, this form of sexual abuse with this person? For a year. Okay. What happened? Did Were you able to tell somebody? I didn't tell anybody. I actually didn't tell anybody till I was like um, 20-something. I didn't tell anybody. I held on to that for years. And so I kind of just like, because I wasn't in the best of spaces anyway as a child because of my upbringing, me being in foster care, I was going through so much emotionally and mentally that, of course, I was never aware of. I'm only eight. But I was going through so much. I was in trouble a lot. So it's kind of like he he saw that and he prayed mm-hmm. on that because he knew I was going through so much and I was struggling yeah. with that. So inherently, I thought I deserved it. Not that it was my mm-hmm. fault. I knew it wasn't my fault, but I felt like I deserved it. Like, this is my, this is pretty much the going into religion, I was like, mm. this is what God wants to happen to me because mm. I've been this way. Wow. Wow. So I, that's wow. how I computed it wow. as a child. It's like, um, that's why I always say God is tired of us. Mm-hmm. Look how much we put on God. <laughs> yes, God Daddy. He tired. Sick and tired. <laughs> that's God Daddy. That's our <laughs> noise for him. Girl, we're official around here. Uh, <clears throat> Well, Donna, um, I, know, I've, I know, too, you were in the foster system as well. Yeah. Um, so can you share a little bit about that experience and at what point that happened? So I pretty much came into the foster system when I was like, mm, when I was like three. And that came from my mother who was, she ne- pretty much it was through neglect. And that was because of her own issues with drug abuse, substance abuse, and also her own mental illnesses. Um which I just found out more about recently. It always <laughs> shows. It, no matter what, it shows. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because for the longest, they was like, your mom was just a crackhead. And then when I met her and talked to her being in mental health, I was like, oh, okay, it was way more than that. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. But I digress. But pretty much that was 
what brought me into foster care. And then I was fostered by my mother currently. And I was fostered with her for like four years. And then I was adopted through through her. her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But before that, um, before we came to a place where we were fostered with her, we also went to like, I think like two homes from what I remember. We went to like two other homes. One of them was a racist ass white woman. And then the other one, I don't really remember too much, but I just remember hers specifically. And was this just you or would you have siblings as well? Well, parents? actually, it's like, I think it's like 11 of us, to be honest. <laughs> it's 10 or 11. Children, and natural children from your mother. Yes, from okay. my biological mother. And we were all separated except for me and my older sister. Okay. Me and my older sister, we pretty much was inseparable. They told us that from a young age, like we... They tried to separate us one time, and it just, no, it mm. didn't work. So we stayed together, so we pretty much was a package deal wow. from that point on. When were you first introduced into therapy or that actually doing that personal work? Well, therapy has always been a part of my life, which is why I'm not foreign to it. Um, because of the way the foster care system works in situations like that, they try to make sure that therapy is present in the home. Because they, of course, want you to adjust well to the family you're with and also them to adjust well to you. Um, I will say that I didn't have the best of therapists. So I didn't really get into therapy and really see the benefits of therapy until a teenager. Because for a long time, I resented therapy because I felt like it was just a way for people to point out my wrongs and what Mm -hmm. I was doing wrong and how bad of a person I was at the time. And also my mother, she, my adoptive mother, she weaponized it a lot um, with us. Like, like, oh, you crazy as hell, just like your mama. Like, that's what she would do. And also my aunts and things like that. So for a while I thought therapy was just like most black people think, like, it's just for crazy-ass people, mm-hmm. and I'm not crazy, so mm-hmm. I'm not about to, I'm not engaging in this. I'm not going to give you the satisfaction or of putting that on me. But when I finally started doing self-work and things like that was us- was around, like, 15, I had a really good therapist. Um, also, being put into the juvenile justice system, too, because I was in and out of, like, homes and stuff like, you know, like, girls' homes, stuff like that. And I would finish their program because they would have programs. I would finish their programs, and if I didn't – And even though I finished their programs, they were like, look, you can't leave because you're not talking in therapy. So we're not really Mm. getting to the root of the issue here. Mm. Yes. Because you keep going back home. And I thank God for my judge that I had because he realized that, like, I don't think she's a problem child. I think she's a child that's hurting. And y'all aren't getting to the root of the issue because she's not talking. So they pretty much forced me to stay in and talk and that's was the start of me doing self-help and things like that wow what do you think how did you end up in juvie looking back (laughs) looking back because now it's a different perspective because back then they was just trying you and disrespectful and you had to show them oh god that's really. but now looking back (laughs) why were you in therapy (laughs) i mean why were you going into juvie why was i going into juvie Mm -hmm. um well pretty much honestly and this is just giving grace to my mother um, there was nothing, there was no other option. 
Like there, there was no other option outside of that because it got to a place where with me and my mom and also like my aunts and things like that, where we were just, we were fighting like full blown. Anytime we argued, I was like square up. Like that's where we at. We fighting now because it just felt like years of abuse of emotional abuse and mental abuse. And I was just like hormones racing. Now that I know hormones at that age, like 13, I was like, fuck it. Now we fighting now. We just going to square up. We just going to square up now. Did you learn how to communicate through fighting in your adopted home? Um, Or was that just something that came with you being in and out of the system? Well, actually. Who taught you to fight? Nobody. Oh. That's the thing. I don't even come from a family that fights. They they are actually the type of family that's like, they the type of family that's going to call police. Like, they really. Black people call the police? Child. I don't even know them. And yeah. they from Detroit? <laughs> Let me tell you, my family was, is real special. life squares. Like, <laughs> like, oh, they a square. You yeah, showed up ready square. to square up. Yes. I ought to call 911 on YouTube. Let me tell you, I was the, I was the like, man, I don't even know how to explain it. I was like, the bomb that just kind of came into the house like what the fuck is this <laughs> like they didn't know how to deal with that type of energy mm. and I came in like I was really always opinionated I was always like I said what was on my mind things like that and y'all know how it is in the black community you mm-hmm. can't you can't we did not ask you your opinion we didn't ask you your opinion now, why are you even <laughs> talking that is a bill payer right exactly <laughs> um i need you just to suck it up and stay in your place yep. yeah. which you know what, what is a child's place <laughs> okay silence exactly silence. you don't speak <laughs> <laughs> until you spoken to exactly <laughs> and so since that was of course that's our norm mm-hmm. whenever i would speak up or ask questions or be like hey i'm all like like that like what's going on with this <laughs> like, I was always that kid who would just kind of go against the grain and because of that you know of course it came from like that that's what stemmed the uh, like the mental and emotional abuse and my mom didn't know how to deal with that she was not equipped to deal with that and she also was not in a space where she was willing to take accountability for her part in that so, as well as my other family members, and just got to a point where you can't, I mean, I can't just be fighting my people in the house, you know what I'm saying? You can't square with your mama. I can't be squaring up with my people. Like, I know it wasn't just my mama. It was like my aunts. Like, it was anybody. I didn't care. It was anybody who dropped me. And it started to pour over into school. Well, it was always in school, but it really started to pour over in school. Like, I was... I stopped fighting girls and was like, what's up to the teachers? Like, what's up? <laughs> like, you was eating the girls for lunch? Girl, <laughs> I tried to fight my principal. Like, I was wow. like, she said something out the way. And I was like, bitch, what you say? <laughs> like, I was dead. Full of anger, though. Mm-hmm. That was just anger. anger. Your it judge was, was on to something. It yeah. was all anger. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, like, they tried to put me in boxing for a while. And once I got boxing, I was like, oh, now nah, I can really square up with y'all. It was, not, it was not therapeutic at all. It was. It, <laughs> it honestly was, was just like ammo. <laughs> she gave my mama a roundhouse. Man. I was one, two, up, one, two. <laughs> I was up in here like, I know how to do jabs correctly. Man. Right. Like, like, what? Right in your teeth. <laughs> Man, I'm like, I'm about to fight all of y'all now. Like, it just gave me a whole nother like, yeah. fire up under me to fight more. So after that didn't work and everything, it just got to a point where my mom just was like, I can't do nothing about it. She went to people um, 
and like the resources that we kind of didn't really have, but mm. she just was like going to people. Somebody like, got to help me. Somebody got to help me. Mm-hmm. And they was just like, honestly, at this point, the we can't do nothing. But as long as she put her hands on you, like at that point, you got to call the police and it goes from there. Mm. And that's what they was waiting on. So the moment I got put into juvenile system was really because I didn't know that this was all going into play in the background, but my aunts did and my mom did. And so one day my aunt came in and was like antagonizing me so I could hit her because she know I would. Mm. And she and said, you had some fresh boxing skills. Oh. Facts. Try them out. <laughs> Definitely gave her the works. I do not regret it. <laughs> I do not regret it. <laughs> how, old was, how old were you? At that time, I was like 13. Mm. Wow. Yeah. We laughing because so like we could it. never. Exactly. You ain't like, what? Man. <laughs> but I, it's, Wow. Wow, I mean, because I, I worked in the, the school system um, from, like, middle school, le- elementary school, and spent time serving in the juvenile detention home as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. You you come across these young people with so much anger and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so much is going on. You don't really know what is going on, why they are that way, because I think generally we're all good. We mean well. Exactly. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, we come from pure mm-hmm. intention. But yeah. when your environment doesn't say that, you know, Man, yeah. and they don't, they parents don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. they don't. It, you just cycles, it's just yeah. cycles yeah. and cycles mm-hmm. and cycles. Some, you know, the next generation wants something better, and they find you find yourself being the abuser, and then we're doing the same thing the same cycle, things. cycle. Mm-hmm. But what I like about our generation is that we are having conversations that our parents did not have because mm. we ain't taking we changing it, it. we changing it up, and we just want better. Yeah, yeah. we, we, you know, we're talking about how abuse has affected us now, mm-hmm. you know. Um, my mom never, <laughs> me, here, here I go. Mm-hmm. When I went to therapy and the therapist was telling me that the stuff my dad was, had done was abuse. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I do that now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Okay. You said I'm abusive too. Connecting mm-hmm. the dots, man. They do. They do. I didn't turn into my daddy. Mm-hmm. Like straight up. You, you don't know. It's, it's sad. But I'm I'm glad that you're able to join us, and you know we laughing kind of through this, but it is some seriousness in there because yeah. right now somebody is dealing with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kids are not just majority of your children are not born angry. Mm-hmm. Somebody mm-hmm. has violated them. Something has mm-hmm. happened. We haven't created the safest place for them. Exactly. That's what it really comes down to. So what happened with the principal though? Because you said you just started talking about it a couple years ago. Is he still? Um, did you ever blow that up? No. Okay, it's not too late. I got the gas. I know. You got. She got. What? Oh God! <laughs> but um, I, he's he's continued. Will. He's continued. I don't think he's um in the school system anymore. Mm-hmm. And I haven't really like to be honest with you. I ain't really kept tabs on him and everything. Um, I was with my ex one time, and this was my ex fiance when I first was like living out here, and we went out. We was drinking and stuff, and I had this real big thing like, at that time, like don't. Don't touch me while I'm drunk. Like, don't do not do that. It was, like, a real big thing for me because I was first starting drinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was underage drinking, but you know what I'm saying. I was just like, no, nah, I just don't do that. And he did it anyway, knowing that I didn't like that. And so at that point, I felt really violated, and I tried to go up to, like, my people about it, and it was just kind of like, I mean, he your man, though. Like, I mean, yeah. Wow. It was just kind of like, I mean, he your mm-hmm. man. I'm like, how was that abuse? Mm-hmm. And so it made me kind of question everything at that point. So then I started realizing, like, and I just got super triggered at that moment. And I didn't realize where it was coming from. And I didn't realize how much I, like, suppressed that for years. Mm -hmm. I suppressed that for so long. And it never came up. Never came up. Through all the therapy. 
therapist that you went through. No. Mm. That's how deep you had tucked that bad boy. Yep. Mm. Nobody knew, nobody like nothing. Like everybody was just wondering why the hell I was trying to get kicked out that school. That was why. But that's that was the only way I felt like it was a solution. Like I gotta get kicked out this school so I can leave because nobody was listening to me when I was telling them I didn't want to go there no more. Mm. I don't know if we covered this, but in your in your house, did y'all talk about issues? Hell no. What we did was we argued through things and we fought through things and we hit low blows below mm. the belt, like real gut wrenching shit to each other. Mm-hmm. And then later. We will just, you know, like most black families, I made spaghetti. (laughs) It's always the spaghetti. I told y'all. I made spaghetti. (laughs) Or just spaghetti and catfish, just Detroit folk. Exactly. Or chicken wings, Mm. you feel me? Shout out to my people. (laughs) Or it'll hit you with the, you know, I'm going to the store, you going to come. Like, Mm. you know, that's the end of the argument. That's the end of the argument. argument. You can't bring that shit back up after that. Yeah. And that's pretty much how it works. You ate the food, so we are past it. So, what would happen if we didn't eat the spaghetti? But (laughs) we get our ass. More low blow. I don't know. (laughs) 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 We ain't never did that. Because we was always hungry. (laughs) But um, also, in my family, um, I didn't touch on this, but my family was really big into church. Like, Mm. I come from, my stepdad is Nigerian. And he has his own church and everything. Mm-hmm. So we, like, was a first family. My aunts are real deep in the church, like, evangelists and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Low-key, one of my aunts is, like, trying to be a pastor. I don't know. but That's um, the one you fought? I fought all of them. But, oh. yeah, but the one I really don't like, that's her. Mm. And, mm, I'm glad she mm. found the Lord. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you <Okay>. said. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about that one. But, um. Yeah, they would try to be like, all right, we just going to go to church Sunday and we're going to have a pastor lay hands on you. Mm. And that that should be the end of it. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. obviously, like, this is some demonic shit you're doing. That's mm. how my family dealt with things. Mm-hmm. They would pretty much embarrass me in front of the whole church and be like, yeah, lay hands on her. This is what she did this week. Lay hands on her. And then they would lay hands on me. And then I'm like, okay. I don't feel no different. Like, yeah. now I'm just oily. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, this ain't dripping down my neck and stuff. Like, what is this? Yeah. So, that's pretty much, like, and I, how we dealt with things. I think that was so, that's hard because at that point, you don't know how to communicate. Mm-hmm. It, it makes you to the point to where you you can't feel, you, I mean, you, you don't feel like you can talk about the situation, first of all, and then you don't know the feelings that are coming up. I'm glad that you were, are still a very vocal person, though. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? A- after hearing your story, and then knowing you, like, every time you would come, like, you know, you were still vocal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. A lot of people like that, you know, are quiet. Yeah. You know what I mean? They hold their thoughts, you know. they And, and w- were you like that at a point, or were you always just like, boom, you know? I'm just still going to say what I, what I feel. I will say this. I had to... I actually had to unpack that. I am a very vocal person. I've always been a vocal person, but not when it mattered. And mm. that was when, and that was me. Like, yeah, I'm always going to be the loudest person in the room because that's mm-hmm. my personality. I'm always going to be friendly. I'm always going to be nice. I always want to make everybody laugh and everything. But when it comes to me and my own emotions and talking about that, we ain't going to talk about that. Yeah. Like, don't, don't, let's not, let's wow. not talk about me. Let's help you. And, um, I had to really unpack that for a while. But that's like, that's pretty much where I got to. I was just like, I was always like, no, nah, I'm going to say how I feel. But at some point, it got to the point where, like, when I did say how I feel, it was just like, well, this is a bad thing to say. Mm-hmm. Or this is disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Or this makes you a bad person. Disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Like, so it was all these different things. So it just made me feel like, 
well, I can't talk about how I feel because if I do, I'm going to be all these bad things. Wow. Wow. That's, that's good. Deep, yeah. wow. that, that's that's like, true. This episode is sponsored by Home Incorporated, a nonprofit that connects black communities with quality mental health professionals in their own area. Please reach out to them at www.homesd.org. You can also find them on Instagram, underscore Home San Diego. It is. Yeah. And it's, and it's and just it's, their experience. Mm-hmm. It is. It's yeah. just their experience. Mm. But those are the things you, you have to unpack in, in order to get down to the deep of it, to get to know you. Got to. And I, and I, I, I kind of like, I'm kind of the same way, but it shut me down completely. Like it, it made me, I helped everybody, but I didn't know how to help myself. Exactly. And so I was empty. I was tired. I was, you know, depressed. I was, you know, deep down inside. I never felt filled. That's it right there. I can understand what you're saying about that. How it just, man, that's hard. It is. It's real hard. And it, it'd be so young for you to understand that, like, it's so, <laughs> like, and no, I'm being for real. That mm-hmm. is, that's like, that's powerful, man. I'm so happy that you're like, you know, that you're able to find you at that young age because I, I'm like, what? 13 years older than you and I'm just finding this out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and your life is going to be so much more powerful and impactful to people because you can explain that to them that are going through these issues. If I would have heard this a long time ago, I'd be like, "Man, you know, that's me." Right. You know, I'm struggling. How did you do that? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. How, how do I get out of this? You know what I mean? And for you to be that person that you're or and everything's just so so meaningful and so powerful. Like I I I, I love that about you. Thank you. All you all you went through. Oh. So thank you, friend. <laughs> I appreciate that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm trying to <laughs> <laughs> No, you're I'm, doing it. You yeah. love it. And it, I'm I know that this empowers everything that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, especially with young people. Because I asked you earlier, I was like, what like what are you most passionate about? And you said it's the youngins or people your age. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to say millennial, y'all. Well, I just want to throw that out there, Jenna. <laughs> where my, where that, my phone Jenna at? I don't think you're a millennial. You know, she's, think is, uh, she's a um. She's with the generation that was eating Tide Pods. That's what she said, y'all. Don't put that on us, man. No, we we there. look. We but I'm not even people. mad at the generation that no, was eating no. um, Tide Pods I because am? in the first three, <laughs> nah, nah. I'm gonna tell you why. <laughs> this is where they redeem themselves. You know, I call the pandemic in quarters. So the first three quarters of the pandemic. <laughs> The tide eating generation was lighting their parents up in their racism. And I was like, sex. come on. Oh, they, was. they was outing everybody. They I was, was like, wait, y'all stop eating tide and start lighting folks up. Yeah. It gave they them was holding people accountable. Was. They was hacking people's mm-hmm. social media, yeah. showing mm-hmm. comments like, oh, my dad's a racist and he wants to kick me out. <laughs> like, yeah. I have nowhere to go but grandma's. But <laughs> Everybody, man. People losing jobs. People they losing, was losing their whole companies. Yeah, they was losing it all. And it was man. all brought down by their kids. <laughs> the, the, your generation is with the shits. Yeah, they are. They're like, we, we not taking nothing. We, we not taking nothing. I think it just got to the point, because I think I got to that point, too, and I see it, like, in all my peers around me. Like, we just got to a point we tired. I know mm-hmm. I for sure got to that point. And and I was so just like, no. I can kind of talk about the importance of finding therapists that look like you. Yes. Like, why would oh, you man. say that's important? Um, mainly for relatability, you know, mm. you need to be able to look at somebody, especially if you are in such a dark place and you don't know where to go. Mm. It's really hard to go to somebody that's foreign from you, who you feel like cannot relate to your experiences in every different culture, like has different experiences. Like, you know, black people, we laugh about like 
all the trauma. You, you know, all that's the trauma. You know, you know that's funny. Through. That's every, every every black person we have said, <laughs> exactly. said the same exact thing. We all <laughs> laugh about that. Y'all laugh and cry. <laughs> he could, yep. yeah. All within 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, that's fucked up. And then I'll be like, <laughs> like I really went through that. Like, yeah, like, and then 10 minutes later, somebody joking about it on the internet. Yeah, I'll be like, like well, we'll like. <laughs> Man, we went through so much yeah. collectively. Mm-hmm. But there's so many other, you know, of course, ethnicities and everything like that who go through the same type of trauma within their own culture. And so when you are in a place where you need direction, it's not easy to go somebody who you feel like cannot relate to that culture. Because I can't tell you how many times you talk to, I had black therapists, white therapists, all Mm -hmm. of that. Currently I have a white therapist though. But um, I had a white therapist who I would be like, yeah, my mama did this. And they'd be like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and you thinking that's, that's what happened. And then yeah. they're like, they're like, oh, my God, how are you, like, alive today? <laughs> <laughs> they'd be like, Can we name this voice that you're speaking with? I know, right? This is, this is that's my, Doctor Who. This is, uh, <laughs> I'm going to call her Amy, man. Doctor Amy? Amy? Because <laughs> she like, oh, my she, God. She's young. She kind of with it. She cool. Yeah. She cool. She, she like, like white woke, but at the same time she don't understand. No, yeah, yeah She knows Amy. she gotta be an ally, but yeah, she don't know. Uh, she don't be. understand for real. Like she's just like, I'm just here to lift she your voice. She took a class. She took a class. <laughs> I too. took an African American class for two years. And oh my god. She's the one oh, that comes man. up to you and, and give you the eye and be like, "Watch." She talking to people. She'll give you the eye and be like, "The urban community." <laughs> she's that person. Oh, <laughs> Like, you know, you guys of Nubian heritage. (laughs) 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 Shout out to all the Amy's. We love y'all. Y'all be trying. They try. They really do. They're in the right place. But she was definitely like the person who was looking at me like when I would tell her certain things. She would be like, "Do we need to call the police?" Like, she blink one for yes, two for no. It's like good. (laughs) But just the fact that. And I know it's funny, like, but the fact that she did that made me uncomfortable because then it made me be like, well, is this really abuse? Like, it made me question everything about my family. (laughs) And you don't want to go, so I'm going back home looking at my people like, shit, y'all kind of weird, man. Y'all out here. Amy said. Amy said, okay. And then you know that causes a... That also causes a, a discourse in the mm. family. Because it's like, who the hell is this outsider coming in mm. telling us how we doing shit? Mm. Like, yep. that's really what it does. But mm. when you have a black therapist and you have somebody who you can talk to and be like, yeah, girl, my mama used to go. Y'all know y'all know how y'all be. Okay, my mama asked me to go out there and pick a switch. <laughs> yep. yep. Y'all know how I be. But mm. more than likely... Okay, Shonda. Okay, therapist Shonda. Shay, did. Okay, Shade. She went through that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So she can relate to that and mm-hmm. how that impacted you, and also give you tools because of the relatability. They can give you personal tools, even though it's through therapy. Mm-hmm. They can give you personal tools, yes. like look, this worked for me, mm-hmm. and this may work for you because we have the same background. We're not the same people, but look, same background. Mm-hmm. It, that I think that's so so true and valid man because i went to three therapists mm-hmm. all white and every i went to like four sessions with each of them each of them yeah. and all four sessions they were trying to figure out and still understand the story like exactly i'm telling Come you on. they never want to get to the room they, and they kept asking no they, kept asking, they don't they, they got can't. questions about the story because exactly. the story is good yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you be like wait 
that just happened yesterday. Like yeah, this like, is a part of my life. Yeah. This ain't a, this ain't three they chapters. They can't relate. And, and, you yeah. onto it, Joe. And that's why I said they can't. And I and they I need and a movie. Yeah, fuck? you can't. Yeah. Go watch Stories. Roots, man. And then <laughs> Mr. Du- Mr. Dwayne came and said within three minutes. Yes. Yes. Understood. We connected, and he understood everything and about me and what I was going through and how I related it to it, and all those type of things. I'm telling you, like. Facts. I did not understand how important that was until yes. he sat down in that chair. And it we, is. And, and I talked. also want to touch on the fact that you're a black man. Yes. Yeah. That's different. Being mm. a black man, going to therapy is totally different. Because one thing about black women, even though we have our own struggles and everything within the community and stuff, at the end of the day, we're still women. Yeah. So we have more of an openness to us. We mm. have more of a like, you know what, this may not work, but let's try it out. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We're a little bit more patient. When it comes to men, they're not inherently like that. You guys aren't built that way. And black men are especially more shut down when it comes to emotions. So trying to sit here and talk with Chad or Amy about your emotions and what you're going through is not going to be beneficial at all because they not only don't understand you as a black person, they don't understand you as a black man. And half the time, those people are intimidated by you anyway. So that's the unconscious bias that's already there that's working against you. Mm. And even though I encourage people to always look, be open to other races and stuff, they may be able to help you because sometimes some black therapists can be too relatable Yeah, where they become best friends with your ass. Like, right, like, I hang out with you if you want my therapist. Girl. And they be like, mm-hmm. That's when you know. You I be like, I can't not, come back. You yeah. can't come back. That boundary get through Sharing trauma in there and junk, you can't be doing that. But, like, as black men, I really advocate for black men to see black male therapists mm-hmm. or even a black woman therapist. Mm-hmm. To seeing black people, I feel like it's always beneficial to black men, honestly. I, I agree. And I, that, that was the hardest thing for me was sharing my emotions because I didn't even know what to share. I didn't know how to talk about words. it. You didn't yeah, even understand what you was words. I didn't, Yeah, I didn't yeah. understand mm-hmm. what I was feeling for years. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And then it's crazy because... When you know we started hanging out with you know Jenna and um, Parshall and them, like it just and talking about this on our podcast, like yeah. it just began to come out, man. And I'm, I'm I'm writing pages of stuff on my phone, like like man, like this is what that that's what happened. This is what happened, mm. you know. Things and um, like my memory started to come back. Yeah, you know, like the blocked moments that I forgot were starting to come back. You that's know, trauma. and it is yeah, I didn't. And but you like you said in the beginning, we, we don't know it's trauma. We think mm-hmm. it's normal. I didn't know. And that's what I love so much about the conversations that's been having about mental health is because for years, and when I first started working in the mental health system, we were trying to talk about trauma, but it was a conversation that was not had. This conversation about trauma just started coming up mm-hmm. within the recent years because nobody could understand trauma or pinpoint it. and Unless it was military. Exactly. Now, PTSD, when you think about that, you understand, like, mm-hmm. oh, the first thing you think about is military. The first mm-hmm. thing you think about is Afghanistan. Like, you must have got your sh- your legs shot off or something <laughs> and, like, blew up in yeah. a ditch. That's what we think about. And although those things are definitely true, we don't think about the fact, like, for instance, me being from Detroit, gang, gang, but <laughs> we don't understand how seeing your neighbor get shot at over and over again, all that type of environment mm. is traumatic. Yes, like yeah. that is not okay. Like seeing people go through things like that. And also something just as little as like I had I had work trauma for a while. Like mm-hmm. I had such a negative experience at one of my jobs. It followed me to every job after that. Like I was always as soon as somebody would be like, I need to talk to you, I I would instantly mm. get nervous. I would instantly be like everything in my body would just be like 
fight or flight. I would either try to avoid the conversation or I would go up in there straight up on defense, like, fuck y'all. Like, I'm, I'm yeah. ready to fight. And we don't realize how much, like, PTSD and trauma relates to every small experience in our life. Yeah. If it if it makes you react in a certain way, it could be trauma. And that's just what it is. And I, I think it, I know for myself, it became desensitizing. I didn't want to deal with mine. Mm. So I didn't, I didn't believe anybody else had any, in a sense. You kind of get what I'm saying? Yes. So uh, let's see a lot of people that now that I'm more dealing with it, I start seeing that this stuff is real and mm-hmm. how blind I became to it because of myself. Yes. I didn't deal with my own issues. So I didn't believe that you had any issues mm-hmm. or that that could really happen to you. Mm-hmm. I would overthink it. Uh, I wouldn't overthink it. I would just try to like, cause it, it would make me look in, look inside and be like, man, like, Yo, that's you too. You would dismiss it. Yeah, I would dismiss it. And I think a lot of people are walking around like that. But now, like we said, we're talking about it. And when you begin to deal with your own, you begin to see how traumatized even a lot of the stuff that I was doing, even like to my kids exactly. or you know, to my wife or, you know, just stuff like that. Like in it that I thought wasn't, but it really is. Like You, you find know? empathy and healing yeah. every time. Come on. That's, that's, that's the message because like I've always been empathetic, but when John the Con shit hit, mm-hmm. it took me mm. to another, another level. level. I'll be like, "Oh my god, you always are all hurt. Yeah. <laughs> who did this? To, who did this to you? Why are you doing wow. this to I other people?" That, I am that person now. Like when I'm in my mm. social circle, like mm. I'm that person who's like, when they could be talking, I'm just like, "We can talk about this later if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> like we can go it's, talk to the side. Yeah, something a little deeper, right there. It's a little, a little deeper. In in it really does trigger people who not at that space. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to they're like, no, we good. I've been here all this time. And that's pretty much how we deal with things as black people. Like I said, we haven't had the privilege to look within. Like that mm. is a, that yeah. is privilege though. That's I never thought about it. Mm-hmm. It really privilege. is. It is. Because <laughs> mm. we just said enough. Yeah. <laughs> we just when you're in survival yeah. mode, you're not thinking about how this is affecting me. You thinking about I got to figure this out. Mm. I gotta get to the next thing. Mm -hmm. That's why twenty twenty was so, so transforming for me. Mm -hmm. Because it really made me sit down and I sat there and thought about like, damn, I ain't I haven't like I've been on just on the go. And when I sat there and talked about it with my therapist, that's when I realized like I really need to get back into therapies because I was going through stuff Mm -hmm. at work and it was just pouring out and I was like, Yeah time to go back to therapy went back to therapy got me a new therapist and she was like you dealt with a lot within the last like all your life honestly you haven't really had a break and I didn't realize how much I never had a break like I just was like okay this happened all right figure it out let's go to the next thing this happened figure it out go to the next thing and that's a lot for so many people you know what I mean so I I know that you're working on a special project you're not ready to talk about but Mm -hmm. can you kind of talk about um, I know you've worked in hospital settings with mental health. Yes. What happens to trauma that's untreated? A lot of the times what I've noticed, and because of the fact I'm, I got to put this disclaimer out there before I say anything, I'm not a therapist and I'm not qualified to diagnose anybody. I have been in therapy and I have had so many different experiences where I'm able to understand a lot more than the norm. So I just want to put that disclaimer mm. out there. Gotta put I feel that. You, I feel you get it. <laughs> Protect yourself, girl. Yes. But the thing is, a lot of the times with trauma, people don't realize it really can lead to a psychotic break. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who enter the mental health hospital usually end up with a psychotic break mm. every time. It's like you would talk to, especially around people around my age. I'm 24, by the way, y'all. But meeting people around my age who's 
in there as well. It will be their first time ever being there. And next thing you know, they're diagnosed with bipolar disorder, mm. schizophrenia. They're all these different things because trauma has a way of just kind of sitting on your mind and altering your reality, altering the way you perceive things, your thoughts, your actions, all of those things. And for so long, if it does go untreated, like I said, it becomes your norm. And then hmm, it's hard to get out of that and understand what's the difference between reality and what you're feeling. Um, there's a difference That's between good. that. Yep. No. We talked about that today. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between how you feel and what actually is happening. And when you go through trauma for so long untreated, you tend that line becomes blurred and you don't know what's the difference. So that can, of course, think about like how that can really affect you mentally, mm-hmm. not knowing like, is this really happening right now or am yeah. I crazy? Yeah. Um, both. And that can lead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I'm both of them today. Which one <laughs> y'all want? Pull up. And it can lead to a lot of like, it can lead to a lot of seriousness for sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, and I think, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I mean, we were talking about earlier how some people believe the, like the lie. Believe. Yeah. Believe they the do. Lie, you know, and you I ever met so somebody that believes they lie? Yes. And you'd be mm-hmm. like, damn. How do you, like, how do you even get whoa. there? Yeah. Like, whoa. Like, how's your reality really that? You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I can kind of see what you're saying. That's like, a defense mechanism, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, man, that's, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. As we wrap it up, what do we do with our black men that are seeking help? Where do they start? Well, first, it starts with the black man first. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just where it got to go. You got to understand that there, it's something like, for instance, Joe, you said, like, you didn't know. And just knowing that you don't know and just having the mm. confidence to reach out and be like, I don't know this. Let me ask a question. That could always lead to conversations. Conversations is always what starts it. After that conversation, that's when you kind of give, that's when you come into the resources. Like, you know what, this can help you, that can help you. And also just always offering emotional support during healing journeys, um, especially for black men, because a lot of black men are not in tune with their emotional side. They need that emotional support so that they can understand their emotions, what they're feeling, and also have a safe space to express them when they are at that place. Um, And letting them know it's safe for wherever you direct them to, this is also a safe space because they can feel safe with you but not feel safe to go where you're recommending them. Okay. I I, I think... Like you said, as a black man, like sometimes we always feel like we have to be at the top of our game, yes. like especially in the workplace where I'm at. I'm the only black dude, you know, black guy in the in my in my division, mm-hmm. well, you know, my, my group. And so sometimes it's like I have to, even if I don't know, I just feel you like have I to have know. to know. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So there's, there's no room be, for error. There's no room for error. So I think for even black men, sometimes you have to just tell yourself and be honest with yourself and say that I don't know. Yeah. You don't have to know all the time. And that was a hard thing for me to, especially with, you know, when even in my relationships with Shauna, like, you know, I had to know, like if, if she would say something, yeah, I knew it, but I didn't know, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Because I, for everywhere in my life, I feel like I have to be at the top. I have to be there. And I don't know what it is, but at that point until, in, until I realized for myself and said, Hey Joe, you don't know. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's fine, but you can figure it out. You don't have to figure it out on the loan. So I wouldn't know something, but I'd go figure it out on my own. You kind of get what I'm saying? I would mm-hmm. do sleep. I would do a lot of stuff on my own. But I Thanks. think for black men, like you were saying, it's okay that you don't know. Just coming from another black guy, like it's okay. You you don't know, and it's okay to help get somebody to help you. 
seek that answer out. And I Facts. think that that would be good for. And I think um, making sure just touching on the fact that you said that yourself and also just a lot of black men don't know. And they're in the place. A lot of black men are in a place where they're like, I don't I don't know, but I have to know. Um, that's where it's kind of like it's a community thing. Like it take a village yeah. where offering that, like I said, offering that support to them. Mm. Even if you're not ready to admit it, you know that when you are, you can come, come to there. me. Okay, mm-hmm. It's okay. And that's really what it is. It's just, I feel like with black men, there has to be open arms at all times with mm-hmm. black men. I, I genuinely feel that way. Um, you have to have a lot of empathy and a lot of patience for black men because of that, because of that right there. Because you're dealing with so many internal battles that you don't even know how to start to look within. Like, it's not even about the fact, like, like you don't know, but you, it's not just like about work. You don't even know where to pinpoint where this feeling of inadequacy is coming from. Cause that's all it is. And it's really just fear, but where's your fear yeah. coming from? And as a black man, how hard is it to admit I'm fearful? Mm. How hard is it to admit I'm scared? I don't know how this is going to go and things like that. That anxiousness, that's so hard to admit to yourself. Mm. Um, and that's where the support comes in emotionally to say, like, it's okay. Wow. These conversations, like, when (laughs) I think about just um, the fact that we're all black, we're having these conversations Mm -hmm. now, it just gets me excited about the future. Me too. So as we wrap up, I think a good question could be for your nonprofit and what you're doing. um, What do you envision for the future and the impact of of what you're doing? Man. Let's say five years, ten years. Five, ten years. You know what? Honestly, I want to be at a place where I'm the go-to in not just San Diego because we are chapter-based, by the way. Nice. Um, We don't just work in San Diego. We have worked, of course, in my hometown. I got to give it that. But we've worked in Texas, Ohio, New Jersey, Chicago, and connecting people to therapists. I guess you could say I want to be, first and foremost, a black mental health hub. Mm. I want to be the person where you don't just come for a therapist. You come for all resources related to what you need. I want to have a mental health hospital that is not just focused so much on the illness, but the person. Mm. Um, Because I'm really a person that focuses on that, and that's what my nonprofit focuses on. Yes, mental illness is a thing. Yes, mental health is a thing, but you are a person before that. Mm. So who are you? What is who is who are you without your trauma? Is pretty much what I ask people. Um, whoever you are without your trauma, whoever you want to be without your trauma, is what I want wow. to get you to. And I want to be the person that helps people get to that point and feel safe enough to take that journey. And I want to have a whole community. That's it. Like, I want to have a mental health hospital. Like, I want all of you that. You want to just be the plug. I want to be the plug. Like, that's why I call myself the mental health trap queen, man. I'm slanging these referrals, you know? Or mental health encyclopedia for other audiences. <laughs> Whichever one, same want. thing. Same thing. Potatoes, potatoes. But, I love that. like, I definitely consider myself, like, I be slanging these referrals, man. Like, it's just... I want to be the plug for all black people, like not just, but for other people as well. You know, y'all out there, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you inclusive. But 
I definitely put my people first because mm-hmm. I don't think people put us first. And I want to, like, how can I be a black woman and not sit here and say, like, I ain't going to put you first. Come on, no. Like, we got to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's for the culture. You, I can We probably can keep going. How as else can they find you? Like, on social media for sure. Y'all can follow us on Instagram at underscore home San Diego. And also, it's the same thing for um, Facebook. You can follow us at Home San Diego as well. You plug that in. It should come up as Home Inc. It's two little people, and it looks like a house for home. You know oh, what I'm that's cute. I, like that, I just want to acknowledge you. Um, Thank you, sis. Because I think it's amazing. Uh, it takes a lot, I think, for you know, for people to step into something that's not just about them, you know, but about other people, especially coming from your experience and what you've overcome mm-hmm. you know even to be here and so i just want to acknowledge that your strength your 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 brains your brilliance all that Thanks, in terms sis. of what you're putting into this because i think it's very special and Definitely. that it's going to be the bomb.com i 100 yeah. agree I, 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 I love your your personality your spirit you are 100 mm-hmm. you even in the gym the first day you was telling me <laughs> me, you were telling me, look, yeah. I ain't Pull doing up. this. Yep, like, for real, though, for she real. She really you, was you, like, you, you trying to make me do this. Look, we're going to go down. I'm like, all right, you're like, my bad. Bro. And you I told you, like, look, I'm going to complain the whole <laughs> time, time, but I'm going to do it. Yep. <laughs> and I, lo- I like, you know, I love that. I love that you speak out, and I love that you, you know, you you help so much. Like, and you have just a, that loving attitude. You're outspoken, but you're so loving and welcome at the same time. So I think what you're Thank doing you. is so, like, it's, so, it's you. It's 100% it's totally you. So Thank you. Yeah. Like Working that. in your purpose. Mm-hmm. And got it young, yo. Yeah, awesome. I know, right? <laughs> That's the blessing That's right there. Good. <laughs> you, it is. You could have got this 10 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, down Can you imagine yeah, if like I would have had this much knowledge when I was her age? No, no. Be like, it's hey. all right. It's all character development. Mm-hmm. Amen. So, hey, as we say, just keep living. Because yeah. it gets better as yeah. you, yep. you keep living. Because I'm definitely learning myself through during this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it'll change. You're going to evolve. You just a baby. You the baby of our group, but you are. Uh, but we love you, and we see what you're doing. We see what you're trying to do, girl. Keep working, working in your purse, purpose and your passion too. Yeah. Um. Well, that's gonna be it for this episode of Just Keep Living. We'll Dang. catch you guys next week. Um. And we are actually on social media now ourselves. We have an Instagram. It's Just Keep Living Podcast. That's just underscore keep underscore living. And that's not living. It was her therapist, Amy. That's not living. (laughs) That's living. Underscore podcast. You can also find us on Facebook. And that's just keep living podcast. There's no underscores or anything funky there. Send us a message. Tell us what you want us um, to talk about. We're probably going to have more guests. We're on a roll with the guest thing. We miss miss you, Shauna. Yeah. Yeah, She's a part of our crew. Um, So we'll catch you guys next time. Just keep living. Gang, gang, bye. Mm.